0: Welcome to The Ziegler Show. This is episode 440. In today's show, Ziegler CEO and Zig's son, Tom, joins me to interview a special guest. Our focus here is, as always, inspiring true performance, and our guest today does this in a fantastic way by addressing a primary area that we handicap ourselves as a culture, and handicap our performance and it's regarding our efforts for status Uh, this will be an angle you've likely never heard before so hey join us
1: you're what you are and where you are because of what's gone into your mind you can change what you are you can change where you are by changing what goes into your mind You cannot become what you need to be by remaining what you are. If you can't take a huge step to begin with, take as big a step as you can. But take it now. That's the key. Take it now. You can have everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. Today is a brand new day, and it's yours. Our
0: show is brought to you today in part by HelloFresh, ultra fresh ingredients that impressed even my foodie wife. New, interesting recipes delivered right to your door. I'll tell you more in a bit, but you can get $35 off your first week of deliveries as a Ziggler listener. Visit HelloFresh.com and enter Ziggler when you subscribe. Hey everyone, this is Kevin Miller, your honored host of The Ziggler Show. In today's show, we bring you Rachel Cruz. Her new book is titled, Love Your Life, Not Theirs. She brings an angle on finances. It's really intriguing as she blatantly puts on the table the issue of our pursuit of social status and comparison and what it does to our spending habits, our finances, and our debt and the things that chain us So dramatically. It's a big deal, folks. I highly encourage you to listen in as Tom and I dig in. And I really pushed in on these hard realities that we face. If you don't know Rachel, she's an incredibly seasoned communicator for her young age as a Ramsey personality and has been speaking to groups as large as 10,000 for more than a decade. She's the daughter of Dave Ramsey, who we've had on the show before and she officially joined Ramsey Solutions in 2010. She uses the knowledge and experiences from growing up, as you can imagine, in the Ramsey household to educate others on the proper way to handle their money wisely and stay out of debt. As you'll hear in the show, she was really hit with this, you know, her normal as a kid of Dave Ramsey. And then she went off to college and realized, oh my gosh, everybody is suffering from the financial decisions and debt that they already have. And that's really what spurred her on this path. Again, you'll hear about that in, in a minute. But Rachel co authored the number one New York Times best selling book, Smart Money, Smart Kids, with her dad. This new book, her, Love Your Life, Not Theirs, it was just released in October 2016. So you can find Rachel on Twitter and Instagram at Rachel Cruz, that's C R U Z E, and her first name is R A C H E L so C-R-U-Z, and then online at her website, rachelcruz.com. Uh, YouTube, You can find her at uh, Rachel Cruz as well, or on Facebook. She's Rachel Ramsey Cruz. So those are the places that you can uh, check her out. Of course, her book, you can find anywhere, but uh, really would inspire you to go to her website, rachelcruz.com. So we start off this interview with a bit of fun, but we get into the trenches of this significant issue. Uh, again, folks, it was it really had me, got me thinking in some different ways and just really looking at the plight that we are are in as a culture and how much it does affect our spending habits, our debt. And then these things that then, as you'll hear Rachel talk about, they control us instead of us controlling them. So here I bring you Tom Ziegler, myself, and a great interview with Rachel Cruz. Well, hey, Rachel, this is an honor and a quick story. I don't even know if you're aware of this. So I got married in 1993 and through Christ Church in Nashville, Tennessee, my wife, Terry and I got to know your parents. And your dad, Dave, he was hosting just the fledgling money game radio show, selling his self-published financial piece book. He actually hired Terry to help him. So we, we kind of think she was the actual first employee of Dave Ramsey. Uh, <laughs> and what that led into, of course, was him and your mom sometimes saying, hey, could you guys babysit a little bit? So we got to do that. And now here you are. What a great fruition to host you as the honored guest on the Ziegler show today. Thanks so much.
2: Yeah, absolutely. No, I do remember that. You guys were like the cool young couple that stayed with us. Mom and dad were out of town. So well, it's fun fun to reconnect after all these years.
0: It is, though I feel like the old guy. Uh, so I'm grateful Tom's a little <laughs> older than old. I am. Okay, No, thanks. I'm here for that. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Um, Tom's got us covered. <laughs> well, I, you know, I wanted to start off just with, yeah, with that history there too. I mean, a primary message of Ziegler is legacy. And now you're part of this legacy of financial and, and, and life teaching and, and coaching. When did you realize that this was the path you were going to take? Well, for
2: a while, I feel like this, um, my role kind of just, it's kind of organically grown, if you will. So it wasn't this automatic, oh, this is exactly what I'm going to do. But looking back, you know, I was 15 years old and I remember someone from the company just said, hey, Rachel, if you got on stage during your dad's events and sold the kids' products, we could probably sell a lot because you're his kid and you could do like a fun sales pitch and all that. At the time, I mean, those events were running, you know, anywhere from eight to 10,000 people. And I was like, there's no way I can get up there and do that. But sure enough, I did. And so I really grew a love for public speaking early on. And uh, that was in high school, really my sophomore, junior year, senior year. I traveled around with dad on the weekends and that's what I did. That was my part-time job. And then when I went to college, I feel like my my financial bubble popped, meaning that I feel like I kind of grew up in a financial bubble where Uh, this idea that if you don't have the money you don't buy it and money comes from work money doesn't come from mom and dad's back pocket and these like very common sense principles of money were taught to me at an early age and so really when I went to college that bubble popped where I realized wow People have student loans. People are borrowing to go out to eat and to go on road trips. They have credit cards, you know, just this realization of, wow, this really is a need. And so my, my heart grew for the message, I think more so in college, just realizing the need for it. And so when I graduated college, is really when I stepped in and said, hey, I love public speaking. I love this message. Let me travel to colleges all over America, high schools, you know, high schools, and do high school assemblies. And so I kind of went on the road. We didn't have a formal speakers bureau like we do now internally, and, and the Ramsey personalities, none of that was there. It was just kind of me and a rental car <laughs> that I had to pay extra for because I was only like 21 when I started doing it. I wasn't 25, so you know, it was all all that fun stuff. But uh, yeah, it just kind of began, and so it's kind of organically grown to what it is today. And I think my message has evolved. Uh, with you know my seasons of life being married and having a kid and all of that so so all that to say I feel like it just kind of organically happened and I'm so thankful as I look back I feel like God really did pave the way to what I'm doing now.
0: Well, in, in legacy again, a big part of Ziegler, a big part of Tom's message, and so I don't miss the fact that the three of us are sitting here uh, and in our own respective fashions continuing the legacy given to us by our. Fathers. And so I want to dig into your story, but before we get real serious and press into it, I want to know, okay, we talk about spending. What is your personal guilty pleasure? And I say that though, I'm thinking, okay, you're probably going to tell me I, I don't have guilt in it. Okay. But you get the point. What, <laughs> what's the thing that Rachel
2: you know likes to spend money on? Oh gosh. Well, I'm like, I'm such a girl. So the the lady listeners out there, you probably relate. I mean, clothes, of course I enjoy, but my big thing, uh, again, you guys can't relate to this, but a manicure. Let's Uh, see. Okay. We can see each other right now. I know this is just audio for the listeners, but we're, we can see each other. So you guys can see.
0: It's beautiful. See
2: the beautiful nails. I do guys.
0: (laughs) Tom, how about you?
1: My guilty pleasure.
0: Yeah. Or, or a manicure.
1: Oh, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> the next manicure I have will be the best one I've ever had because it'll be the okay. first one that I've ever
0: had. Okay, well, maybe you need to go to Nashville and
1: Rachel will treat you.
2: <laughs> I can take you out, Tom. <laughs> okay, yeah.
1: I guess my guilty pleasure would just be uh, spending a little too much money on sushi.
0: Oh, that's, that's righteous. Yeah. That's a good one. Good thing. I, that is. What's that,
1: your so Kevin? What's your guilty pleasure?
0: That one is probably uh, that one's probably top of the list, though. You you know me, and I'm I I love good taste, and sushi's at the top there, and a, a good a good red wine is is pretty divine uh, as well. So I just got back from a wine tasting, and uh, that was that was fun. That was fun. Well, Rachel, on your uh, you know, talking about college and going there, and as you have uh, encountered, yeah, marriage now and and baby, and of course, you're Dave Ramsey's kid, so you've never made a mistake, right? And I, I wanted All to perfect. ask, <laughs> okay, well, just for just for context for people as we dig into this, to know that you're a real person, I want to know what's the what's the most regrettable financial decision you've had.
2: Um. The most, the blatant one in my mind, just as Dave Ramsey's kid in that context. I remember when I was fifteen, I bounced three checks at oh. the mall. Yeah, so I had to go down to the to the bank and personally apologize to the branch bank manager for lying to him, yeah. because I told him I had money in his bank to spend and I didn't, and that's a lie according to my dad. So I did that. Wow. So <laughs> that's the most wounding. I have to go to counseling for it. No, I'm just kidding. Oh. But yeah, so that was probably the most like blatant one. But I would say recently, I'm I'm the spender in our marriage. Winston is definitely the saver, and so uh, I definitely if someone's going to break the budget, it's me. And so I I get to go to New York uh, a lot for my job to do media and stuff. And they just have good, not crazy expensive shopping I do, but just, you know, some, some mid-level stores that we just don't have here in Nashville. And so, yeah, there was one time last year I, I overspent and had to, had to confess to the husband that when he looks at the bank account that... I spent a little bit more than I should. And I knew I was doing it. That's why it's regrettable I'm like, I don't need these. Like yeah. these are complete wants, you know, it's just that moment of complete impulse. And I knew, I mean, in my brain what I was doing, but my heart just went on with it.
0: Okay. So you're a little, you're a little bit real. Yeah,
1: Tom. So Rachel, I I just want to ask you a question because, you know, I think uh, our growing up experiences are probably similar in a lot of ways. I've been to so many events and it's we're closing down and it's late at night and the the core fan base is kind of hanging around. And then you have that conversation that's just jaw dropping. You can't believe it. Somebody's life has been radically changed. Something happened to this person. It, it's it's usually at the side of an event when you're least expecting it. What's the most memorable uh, story like that you've ever heard?
2: Oh, wow. Um, I mean, I think, you know, being in this, in this job, I feel like the, one of the best things I get to hear are all of, all of the amazing stories, but, but when it comes to people and their money, there's usually a lot of um, the big ones that stand out are, you know, the, sometimes the tragedies. Um, and so just, enter, you know, I was on a book tour all last month and went to, you know, 20 different cities and had different book signings. So I heard a lot of people's stories even just recently. And 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 I heard three different times in three different cities, women talking about how their husbands had left. Uh, or there was one, her husband passed away just like three months ago, but he had life insurance. They were out of debt. And so she just looks at me with tears in her eyes, or even the, the two ladies that their husbands left them, um, you know, just say, Rachel, I'm going to be okay. As a woman, you know, I didn't feel like I knew what I was doing, but, but you know, because of your message, like my husband and I go on the same page, we worked together. And then unfortunately, you know, when the marriage ended, um, either way, you know, by death or divorce that, that they were, they're able to be okay with, you know, and as a mom, my heart just reaches out for those kind of women. So I'm just like, oh, the fact that they're equipped for it. So you hear those that are just so, I mean, so impactful. And then the ones I just recently today, or no, I guess it was, It wasn't today, two days ago, I was down at the, in our lobby where dad does the radio show and this couple, 26 years old paid off their house and everything for $142,000 debt free at 26. So you hear those and you're just like, oh my gosh, it's just crazy. It just gives you hope in America today. I feel like that people really do take ownership of their lives and they really do put these principles into place and they change their lives and it's not me changing their life or, or my dad it's these people, they take what we teach and they actually do the hard work and they do it. And so that's what's so inspiring is I feel like I hear these kind of stories from everyday people all the time, which I'm so thankful for because those are the stories that that motivate me. And I'm sure you too, um, you know, where you get to hear just, just amazing things that people are doing in their lives.
1: Absolutely. I, I get to speak all the time and I speak on our wheel of life. And of course, one of our spokes on the wheel is financial. And what I say is that people get their financial life in order Usually around one of the two D's. The first D is disaster and the second D is a dream. Mm. And it is so much more fun to get your financial life in order when it's around a dream. Mm. And that's what I love about what you guys do. It's because whether somebody has a dream like being 26 and paying off the house and having their destiny in front of them in control, or it's a disaster, you've got the resources there to help them do it. So
2: I'm excited. That's exactly right.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to learn more about your book and what you're doing, because people ask me all the time, you know, they, they say, Tom, you know, we love what your dad said. And we love you quoting him all the time, but we like even more when you say your own stuff and give your own stories and everything else. So that's what I'm looking forward to the most in this interview. Well,
0: and that's incredibly what I appreciated in reading through the book, Rachel. But on what you said there, you know, in dealing with the, the, the tragedies stand out, um, I know that a primary statement from you is you want to help people control their money so it doesn't control them. So if we zero in, this is just a 10,000-foot view for everybody to understand because I'm curious about this as well. If we zero in on the average American home, where do you see the the most mismanagement and unintentionality with how we deal with our money taking its toll in the greatest fashion? I mean, what are the primary ravages of financial stress that you see affecting people in today's world?
2: Well, I think debt rises to the top. I mean, 70% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, according to the Wall Street Journal. And so we're a culture that we are up to our eyeballs in debt. I mean, the idea that the paycheck comes in and the paycheck goes right back out in payments. And so that's how so many people live. Um, And I think that with debt specifically, I think it steals not only your income, but your sleep at night i mean your your margin and your emotions I mean it steals so much from you when you owe someone something that the joy of you going to work because now your motivation to go to work is to pay bills i mean it just it changes so much of your relationship in life, so debt is probably one of the most um, the things that, that affect people the most. Uh, but also, you know, looking at people that don't live intentionally. And I know, you know, Tom, a lot of your messages around this is being so intentional with your life and with people and their money, they're not. And this idea that that people could look back and say, okay, the last two years I made X amount and I have no idea where it is. And that's normal. I mean, a lot of people live their lives like that. And so um, really trying to break that habit for people and saying, if you live intentionally, which is a budget, financially speaking, gosh, so many pains, so many marriage fights, so much lowers when you tell your money what to do. So I think, I think the ravages really is debt, that portion. And then the idea that people just don't have control of their money and the way to control it is a budget, but majority of people don't live on one.
0: Yep. I, um, I fall into that as well. The title of your book, love your life, not theirs. I mean, this harkens to, and of course you make mention of the issue of keeping up with the Joneses. And so when I read that, I thought, you know, just about myself, I, that I'm, I'm above that. I don't, I don't deal with that. And then a minute later I realized that was a complete lie uh, that I do how much of the way that I live, is uh, my wife, and I used to say this, what would we choose to do? How would we choose to live? What would we, what would we have if there were nobody else to see it? It was us on a desert island. And of course it'd be very different, but then the reality is that we don't live on a desert island. We do see people. So just how big of an issue do you really feel that societal pressure is on our spending behaviors?
2: I think it's huge. And I think, you know, the idea of keeping up with the Joneses 10, 15 years ago, you actually had to see them in person. Right. I mean, you had to be washing dishes and look out your window and be like, oh, well, they got a new car or seeing them at church and wherever you are, you would see people and then you would feel that that tension. But now we carry the Joneses around with us in our back pockets on our phones. And thanks to social media, I mean, they are everywhere, everywhere you look. You see someone else and people you don't even know or people on the other side of the world. Uh, and so it, it's an it's amazing thing because technology and social media, there is so so much good in it. I think connecting with people that we never would be able to otherwise. So I think there's so many pros to it. But I think there are some cons and something that we really do have to address because the hard thing is, is that social media is everyone's highlight reel, it's the best part of everyone's life. And that's what you see. You know, you see the vacations, you see the new car, you see the redone kitchen. I mean, whatever it is, that's what you see. And and if you think that you're trying to compare your life to that, you're comparing your life to make believe. Because again, statistically speaking, people are struggling with money and, and you don't see that. You don't see the credit card bill after the vacation, you don't see the possibly the second mortgage that was taken out on that home to redo that kitchen. And so you don't see the stress of people's money situations and all you see is the best part. And so again, comparing yourself to that, you're comparing yourself to make believe because it's not the entire picture. And so we just have to be very, very careful because what ends up happening is, and myself included, I'm just like you, I struggle with this. That's partly why I wrote the book and could probably have so many personal stories because it is hard, uh, you know, when you're looking through, Facebook or Instagram or Twitter and seeing what everyone else is doing. And it's like, oh gosh, you know, am I being a good enough mom? You know, my book, did it do that well? You know, you start comparing everything in your life. And, and what ends up happening is comparison not only steals your joy, but it steals your paycheck as well because you end up spending money and some people money they don't have to keep up a lifestyle that they think everyone else is living and they're the ones missing out. And so it really does. It affects our money situation in, in a huge way also because the whole comparison thing, it deals with our heart. You know, when we talk about money, a lot of people focus on the the math or the interest rates, you know, or things like that. But looking at the heart of it and saying, you know, contentment and gratitude, like these kind of emotions are strong foundations for us to start on, to build upon good money habits. But for some people, that foundation is so shaky because comparison, it, it, it irks in our lives every single day. And, and a lot of people don't know how to take control of it.
0: So before I press into what Rachel just shared, a call out to new sponsor of The Ziggler Show. Hello Fresh. As most of you know, if you've been listening to the shows long, I am an avid foodie. Hello Fresh delivers the freshest food catered to my family size and dietary desires right to my door. So, we got our first box a couple of weeks ago, and my wife was dramatic. She's dramatically picky about how fresh, especially the veggies are, but ingredients overall. So, she gave a big thumbs up right off the way to how perfectly fresh the kale was, which she's real picky about. And I love the individual servings of each ingredient for that recipe. So HelloFresh currently offers customers a classic box or a veggie box. Now, we got the veggie box as we are primarily vegetarian. And they're soon going to be launching a family box, which will be great because we got a lot of folks in my crew. So customers can order three, four, or five different meals per week designed for either two or four people. New recipes are created Every single week. So, you know, I'm the big family who's drastically short on time. However, we make a home cooked meal and have a sit down dinner seven days a week. And we're masters at throwing together good food fast. But I often have two struggles. One is. We often end up with the same meals and get a little bored with it. And two, just running out of the fresh ingredients because we do, we want fresh ingredients and we run out. So it's constant trips to the store. It takes time to think of new items and then make sure we have the ingredients. Well, HelloFresh addresses both issues in grand fashion, convenience, and new recipes. And they advocate something I love, that food brings people together and good food allows us to live long and live well. And great food lets us enjoy every bite of life. So whether you're a busy professional couple A large family that runs at breakneck pace or someone who simply wants to start cooking more HelloFresh makes it easier, tastier and healthier than ever to enjoy the experience of cooking new recipes and eating together at home. So important. From creating the recipes and planning the meals to grocery shopping and even delivering all the pre-measured ingredients, again, HelloFresh delivers right to your door so you can skip the grocery trip. So each week, uh, HelloFresh creates new delicious recipes with step-by-step instructions designed to take around 30 minutes for everyone from novices to seasoned home cooks. Uh, short on time, like we mostly all are. Again, all delivered to your doorstep in a special insulated box for free. So you can get 35 bucks off your first week of deliveries. Visit HelloFresh.com and enter Ziggler. All right. HelloFresh.com and enter Ziggler when you subscribe. Okay. Well, so that, you know, I do want to push into some because I, I hear you. I agree. I would teach my I would, I do teach my kids, you know, the same thing when we talk about that, about comparison, especially in the aspect of, of being in this world, but not of this world and what that looked like. That was our family church last Sunday, that topic. But, okay, but I'll talk to us right here, sitting here. We're all in the public light uh, to a degree. And from a marketing and business perspective, we do know people judge a book by its cover. That's a big issue. We talk about it. It comes up here on The Ziegler Show a lot. And we address that in a way of uh, that you've, got to, you've got to deal with that. And you can kill a great message with a bad book cover in essence. So with that perspective uh, of, of that, of, of status and respect, You know, job titles and physical accoutrements and the car you drive up on. I mean, it does matter. I mean, from a business standpoint, if you, Tom and I were talking about this, if you're a realtor, you know, and you show up in a jalopy, somebody's going to question the value of your business acumen as opposed to if you drive up in a Cadillac. And so I look at that, we respect wealth so much. And we respect those things that for somebody to say, no, I'm going to cut back. I'm not going to do that because it's wise. And we're saying here, and I think we would all agree with that. And yet it's just, as you know, it's a very real issue. And I was thinking about this as I read the book, Rachel, and thinking about, you know, talking about it with my kids. I've got older kids now. And, um, you know, when they're judged somewhat sitting at the table, especially a business table by the, the nice clothes, the watch, the iPhone six, the straight pearly white teeth, it's difficult to say, no, I'm not going to do those things until um, – and realize that there's going to be some aspect of um, – gosh, I hate to use the word judgment. But you get the point. So in, in the teaching, how do you – what is your main strategy of combating this very real pressure and reality that we live in?
2: Well, being wise with money doesn't mean you have to be cheap and that you can't you know, have nice things by any means. You know, I mean you can still be a realtor and drive a six-year-old Lexus that's used – and you buy it with cash versus going and buying the $60,000 new one. You take, you know, you let someone take the depreciation hit on the new Lexus. I mean, there's, there's yeah. ways to go through life and still, you know, um, dress appropriately, hold yourself well, um, speak well. I mean, there, there's ways to do that and still be wise with money. And so what I'm saying is, is the outpouring of, of the average family owing $16,000 on their credit card debt. You can't afford it. You can't afford the car that has a $492 car payment every month. Like, You can't afford that. And so there has to be a grown-up and, and and a maturity about you that says, you know, I can't afford that. So I'm not going to buy that. Can I still have a great life and still enjoy things? Yeah, a hundred percent, but there has to be boundaries and there has to be limits. And if you depend on what other people are saying and they're dictating your decisions, then you have the wrong perspective and you're going to end up broke uh, because that's what many Americans do. So, so I would say, yes, you want to be, I mean, I, mom and dad, you know, people may think that they sent me like secret checks in the mail as an adult and like help support me. But no, I started off like everyone else. And, and my husband and I, we got married and we were young. We didn't have a ton of money. And so we like, we had a budget, we had to be good, but, but I still feel like we still had a great life. Um, and and I still held myself well in the business world and I still could present myself well, uh, without having to have the, the Rolex watch. Do you know what I mean? I think, and I think people put that pressure on themselves that isn't always realistically there. And that's the problem.
0: Yeah. You you remind me. I mean, it's something in the past year, I'm 45 years old. And in the past year, my wife actually had to say to me, cause I think I took some of this too far and I'm a cheapskate. And she said, honey, we're not paupers. We are at that running race and you look like a bum, please go <laughs> right, buy right. some clothes. And it, I just, I, you know, there's some of that where I I'm still, you know, there's the good and bad, I guess, where you can go too far and have have balance. Um, okay. No, that makes sense a a lot. I think that's going to be helpful to a lot of people to hear. You mentioned a minute ago, gratitude. So I was, I was stalking your Facebook page, uh, and getting ready for this. And I saw you had a gratitude challenge. Talk to us about how that's a primary tool to battle this spending issue.
2: Yeah, well, I found in my own life that that gratitude, which is a huge word and can encompass so much. Um, but for me, in a heart that's filled with gratitude, there is no room for comparisons and discontentments. And so for my life, that's where I've, I've, I've rooted myself is, is learning to be grateful. And every morning, too, I, I used to just grab my phone and my phone alarm would turn off and I would go and I'd scroll through Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and text messages and emails. And, and my phone would be in my face before my feet even hit the ground. And I realized about a year ago, I was like, what am I doing? I'm already immersing myself into someone else's world before I even started my own. And so I, I started a, a gratitude list. And so every morning, I just type down two things on my phone uh, in my iPhones app that, that I'm grateful for. And there in my notes app is a running list of of my gratitude. And so when I feel that comparison creep up in me you know, from all different angles, whether it's marriage or parenting or job, whatever it is, you know, I, I really do. I think, gosh, I, I go back to that list and now there's so many things. And for me, that helps because it just helps me stop to say, okay, this is everything God has given me. Like I I have so much to be grateful for. And really for me, that allows me to rest and be content and helps me quit comparing my life to that person's. And so gratitude just, I think it, it's, it, it does so much in our lives, including with our money. Because when you're, when you're grateful, it's easier to be content. And when you're content, you're able to save more. You're able to give more. You're able to sacrifice your lifestyle to get out of debt. You're able to do these things uh, with your money. When you're not content, uh, you're running and gunning and, and you think the next thing is going to make you happy or the next thing is going to be... That that thing to to make you you know and it doesn't and so uh, you know godliness with contentment is great gain scripture says and I believe that wholeheartedly and so uh, gratitude is huge and so the the challenge yeah that you were talking about uh, I launched just the first on social I just said hey post post a picture every day and you know for for a lot of social it's it's hashtag blessed which mm. is usually like you know the really best parts of our life it's like oh look what my husband he just brought me breakfast in bed hashtag blessed or you know first class airline seats blessed you know it's like everything's like that that blessed and i was like no Find something in your life, everyday things that you're grateful for. And instead of hashtag blessed, do hashtag actually blessed. So that's, that's the running uh, seven-day seven challenge to everyone. And so it's been fun to, to be able to do. And again, just practicing that gratitude on a daily basis uh, is huge for you emotionally, but also financially.
0: Well, Rachel, I, I yeah, that mean that speaks a lot to me. I think it was probably about a couple years ago and I am failing to recall the name of the book. It's by Ann Voskamp and it was uh, something my wife read and she started a daily gratitude journal for our family. And it was like a thousand things and we just all took turns doing it and it was significant. Uh, it really was. I mean, it's one of those exercises that you hear about, but when you really hunker down and do it. Uh, it is, but in this reference of to do it w- in regards to spending, feels like a great exercise to do when I'm tempted, you know?
2: Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's usually where I end up going back to it is that time where I'm like, oh man, I just don't feel strong enough. You know, or I, I'm like, gosh, like we need a vacation because four of our friends are on vacation right now. You know, you feel that creep up and you, uh, yeah. And I just, I do, I go back to that list for that reason. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I have to do that one. I'm a sucker for a deal. So in Travelocity, I think this was yesterday, the day before 24 hour sale. And I'm just looking at, we got to go somewhere. And I so close to doing it. And thank goodness I got busy and went on and didn't spend whatever I was about to. But well, so at the, right at the beginning of the book, and, and I know that, that, that I've got the, the book in front of me right now, seven money habits, but you start the book off with that, with a key Ziegler trait topic that we talk about so often, which is just habit. And before you you know even talk about the social aspect that uh, you get before you get into that in the book, the social aspect and pressures that we talk about, you just drill into habit and you know I know your dad started teaching on money twenty five years ago, but how do you see the habits of today 's culture and i 'd even ask from your own generation, which is a step behind my own, how do you see those habits as being? Different. Are, are they the same or are they have they changed and morphed to some degree? Before Rachel addresses my question on habit, I want to thank Braintree for their support of this episode of The Ziggler Show. If you run a business or many like I do, I bet you remember the first dollar that you made. Now you want to grow to make your millionth or billionth have you found the right payments partner to grow with you? It's a big deal. Well, brain tree lets you accept every way to pay from PayPal to Apple pay and everything in between all it takes is, is one integration. And it doesn't matter what currency your customers use because Braintree lets you accept over 130 of them, which I appreciate for the Ziggler show here. We span the globe and have people from all over listening. So this matters to you. To learn more about how your company can grow with Braintree, visit braintreepayments.com slash Ziegler. Again, that's brain tree payments.com slash Ziggler.
2: Yeah, I think they definitely changed it more. For me, I think the, the, foundational principles could probably live on generation to generation, but but the way we do and handle our money today is different. I mean, online banking, I mean, having apps, I mean, the, the convenience aspect of money um, is much greater than it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. So, like, writing a check today for most millennials is completely for, and, you know, like, people just don't do it anymore. Yeah. Uh, and so that kind of way, the way we interact with money, I think, has changed the most. And there's pros and cons to it all. I mean, I think convenience is key, and if you're able to have your bills on auto. A draft make sure you 're not late do it I mean you know I think there's definitely advantages but but I think we do we 've taken a step away from the actual tangible money that we hold in our hands. And I think that can affect our spending. Studies have shown that when you spend with cash, you actually spend less than if you spend on a credit card. And so really, you know, that kind of thing uh, has, has moved away. And now, you know, with Apple Pay, even on your phone, you just swipe your phone. I mean, you know, we're, we're definitely taking the emotion out of money and making it um, so much easier to purchase, which I think can lead to to a lot of overspending, uh, which I'm guilty of. I mean, Amazon Prime, it's like, okay, everything could be at our house in two days, you know, and it's just like you're Seem to rack up everything, and so yeah, just being very, very uh, careful with the technology when it is a blessing, um, but sometimes with the budget, it can it can hurt it. I
0: you know I hadn't thought about that again. I remember that teaching of yeah, it's, it, it feels so much more difficult to hand over cash, of which I generally. I often have none. I have zero, um, you know, and I'm, I've gotten used to. Now I go into Starbucks. I don't even bring my wallet because I have it on my phone. It automatically re-ups my thing, and of course, they're always bribing me to spend more. So I'm, a, you know, a gold member, and I get my rewards. And yeah, yeah, it's so darn easy. And I do like the convenience. Yeah, Amazon Prime. I wear it out. I don't have to go to the store. It's here at two days, no shipping. And in a lot of ways, it's it's a great convenience, a great efficiency. But you're right, the pain of spending. I don't really realize until if I take the time to go into the bank account and look through there and then start questioning where the, where the outgoes came from that are my wife or the kids and say, Oh my goodness, where is the money going? That is, um, you're right. That's, that's, it's huge for today and a much different place than when you're, uh, dad started some of this messaging. Well, so on that note, I wanted to ask you that where do you see just from a, I know you talked about debt and, and we're talking about some of those uh, spendings, but from a literal tangible place of where do you see the culture today, wasting money the most? And I'm asking literal, I'm curious, is it, is it, you know, is it food? Is it uh, electronics? Is the entertainment? Is it, where are we most prone to just make that instantaneous decision and blow money?
2: Well, I think out of the needs of our life, so that being food, shelter, and utilities, clothes, transportation, these are things that we do need to survive today, right? To to get right. around and and to do life. And so, for a lot of people, they take that to the to the grand extent. You know, going, you know, I'm 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 a girl, so I'm going to like the spa day, for instance. You know, we go to a spa day that that feels like a splurge. That feels out of routine. That feels like, oh, should I do that? Like, I mean, there's a lot of questioning, but. Oh, let's just go to a nice dinner tonight. I mean, we have to eat anyways. It's the needs that become magnified. Where yes, you need food and you need to eat, but it's so quick to go and have a glass of wine, have an appetizer, get the meal, get another glass of wine, we'll have a dessert, you know. And suddenly that that restaurant bill just builds and builds and builds. Now, if it's in your budget and you have the money for it, then you choose to do that. That's great. Uh, but a lot of people overspend in food and the, within the needs category uh they they magnify those uh and and justify that uh because they need it uh but you don't need that nice steak dinner every night so food though for most people busts the budget and a lot of you know people that do grocery shopping or they go out to eat i mean food is always uh the connecting point of people where they overspend
0: okay so i mean i I almost when i think about that i would say oh my gosh that's Yeah, I am. I think one of my favorite hobbies is uh, just grocery shopping, love food, love cooking it, love making it. And we have people over pretty much every night. And I am one of those people that I stress if there's not enough food. So we're gonna have an overabundance always. And yeah, so can we can we categorize that somewhat in just pleasures?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and again, if if you know your food budget's going to be bigger because you host and you do things, then make it bigger. You know, I'm not saying not to spend and, and to do those things, but that means you'll probably have to say no to other things, if you will. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm with you, though. I mean, that's one of my favorite things, going out to eat, I think, because we never went out to eat as kids. I mean, we always ate at home. We never went out to eat. So for me, even to this day, I'm like, oh, let's go out to eat. It's still like this treat for me. Uh, I love it, but gosh, it, it can become so expensive. But again, if it's in the budget, I'm going, I'm Debbie Downer. I know I no, back no. the budget, but if it's there, then spend it and enjoy. Uh, but yeah, but the overspending is, is real.
0: Okay. So, so in this, again, from a big picture standpoint in your, in your work here and in your messaging, and I know you're often talking to people who have come to you with that desire. So they have an aspiration, I would say, but when it comes down to, okay, yeah, people can hear it and people can hear, it, but when Do they change? Uh, My question to you is where do you see that primary uh, pain point or or trigger or just where do they when do they ultimately get the motivation? I mean, is there is there an event that happens or a timeline or uh, I I don't know. That's what I want to ask you that find that you see that uh, it's it's at this point that it finally gets to people where they then say, Okay, I've been hearing this message. I know better. I'm going to strap down and do it.
2: Well, I think it's different for everyone. I mean, I talked about, you know, the twenty-six year old couple that pay off your house. I'm like, you know, there's forty-six year olds that don't even have that goal. You know what I mean? But for that couple, for whatever reason, it hit them and that's what they wanted. So I think, you know, personal conviction plays comes into play. Um, but I think people when they get to the point in their own life, and again, you could be twenty six, you could be fifty-six, but the point where you get sick and tired of being sick and tired. And this feeling of I drive to work, I sit in traffic, I deal with a jerky boss, I'm exhausted. And all I'm doing is paying Mastercard and the two car payments in the driveway. And I don't want to do this anymore. But people have to get to that point in their life where they say, I'm willing to change. And I think everyone, you know, most people realize that they don't like change and, and changing is hard. Uh, but to say, okay, if I want a different result from what I've been doing, I have to change what I've been doing. because doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result is the definition of insanity. And so people, they have to get to that point, but you know, I meet 56 year olds who are okay with it and they're okay with living paycheck to paycheck and just living on the credit card debt and they're fine with it. So, you know, I think dad always laughs and he's, he always says him and Jenny Craig will be in business forever (laughs) because there's people, you know, they don't want to change their diet. Uh, So whatever it is, I mean, they, they do have to get to a point in their own life. And so I think it's different for everyone.
1: So so I got a question on that. One of the quotes that I've kind of, I'm basing a new book around it is, is uh, the fastest way to success is to replace bad habits with good habits. And I talk about termite sized habits, like little tiny habits. And you add up a bunch of these little tiny bad habits and you get rid of them and you replace them with little tiny good habits. And at the end of the year, if you do that once a week, you got a brand new life. What are, Three kind of small bad habits that people make, you know, unconsciously financially every day, and how could they take that little change and then put that into a good habit?
0: Can I piggyback on that real quick? Because like I, when you, as, soon as you brought that up, I know you used that analogy, Tom. The termites that get more, or, or the the earthquakes and the big destructive things get all the press, but it's the termites that do more damage statistically, you know, to uh, to homes and, and lives. And yeah, I, Rachel, when I think about that, I mean, I'm quick to, to put off a a big expenditure. We're going to spend that much on a car or go buy that or do that vacation. I, but it's the little stuff. Do you see, I'm going to add to his question too. Is that generally where you see the biggest erosion of finances is from those little expenditures that go unseen or unnoticed or unintentional, I guess, as opposed to people making a big decision on a big expense.
2: Sure. I mean, I think both. I think, you know, people make $60,000 mistakes on the car lot, you know, and that affects them for years to come. But also it's those, you know, Starbucks drive through four times a week and you don't realize you're dollars yourself to death or you walk into Target or Costco and it's like, oh, I'll just, you know, drop an extra hundred bucks and you do that. Once a week, that's 400 bucks a week. You know what I mean? Like it just, it grows and grows and grows. So there's definitely the, the spending without even thinking, uh, the spontaneous spending, the impulse spending, that is one issue. But I think the, the three, to answer your question, Tom, you know, three things that came to mind, it um, just off the top of my head. I'm like, one habit is people don't check their checking account at all. For most people, I could ask, you know, what's, what's even your login information for your online bank? And they don't even know. I mean, people just don't check and they sometimes go into overdraft and they have to pay those fees and it's, they don't check, they don't stay up on it. And I'm not saying you have to be so militant, especially if you're married. My husband, Winston, he's on top of it. I mean, he checks it probably, probably once a day or i may maybe like once a week. So I'm a little bit more lax knowing that he kind of has it going, um, but I don't think people know what they have. And it's amazing. Even talking to people, some people can't even tell me how much they make a month after taxes. Like how much is, how much actually goes into your checking account? Most people are like, um, I don't really, you know, they just don't know. And so, so that's one thing I'd say. Uh, number two, the habit of the credit card. I mean, people, that's the only primary way people pay with, pay for stuff and they pay off their bill every month or some say they do. Uh, statistically speaking, they don't. But, uh, you know, that that's the means to an end of, of how, they, how they do life. And I think that is a bad habit uh, depending on the bank and to, you know, have to owe visa because ultimately you're not living out the front windshield. You're living through the rearview mirror. You're paying for food you've already eaten, movies you've already seen, clothes you've already worn versus... Planning ahead and using your own money. So I do see a credit card as the bad habit. Uh, and also a habit of, of with your spouse, if you're married, not talking about money. And this is a, a habit that can really wedge between a marriage because it can seem so small and insignificant you know, day after day, but then it turns into weeks, it turns into months, and some people even years. And they end up doing marriage on two completely tracks financially, even to the point of having two checking accounts. And they just don't communicate about money and they, they live like this. And and that becomes a very dangerous habit considering one of the leading causes of divorce in America today is money fights and money problems. And so it really does become a huge issue in marriage, but it's that, that dangerous termite habit of just oh well I bought this but I'm just not going to tell my husband I'm going to hide the target bag or you know you go to you go to uh, the grocery store I heard a girl say this to me and I was like ooh and they get asked for cash back on a debit card and she's like oh I took out 100 I just didn't tell them. and I'm like you know red flag flashing light it doesn't seem like a big deal at the time but suddenly what are you doing if that it's that hiding and that going around each spouse that starts to Poof, could really really damage a relationship
1: well I I love it so three quick things. Just check your checking account a couple of times a week and know how much money you're putting in every month. Know where you are. You know, we say the old GPS is if you're going to go to where you want to go, you got to know where you're starting from.
2: Yes. It's it's
1: such a simple thing. The credit card trap. Use cash. I love the envelope system and what you guys teach there. And it, it is, it's so simple. It's it it's so visible and the psychology around that goes on forever um but i can tell you my wife and i we she's fantastic with money i mean she's like every guy's dream she's she knows where it all is and she's reasonable and you know we 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 do all those things but just taking a walk with your spouse once a week and talking about money where you want to go what it's for uh, I kind of borrowed a couple of quotes. I put a couple of things together. I, I actually, I think I texted your dad this, but I said, you know, because your dad says every dollar has to have a name. And I say every minute has to have a purpose. So every dollar has mm-hmm. a name, every minute has a purpose. And that's just a great guideline. If, you know, if if the minute that you spent with the person you're, you're going to spend the rest of your life with, if you just had a purpose of having a financial discussion once a week, wow, that would just be huge. And so that's For for our audience, I love that because these are little tiny things. Literally checking your bank account, what, sixty seconds?
2: Absolutely. Easy, yes.
1: Knowing what the deposit is, I mean, sixty seconds. A five minute conversation once a week about money with your spouse, that's nothing, but you know, that'll save months of of arguing and miss sleep later on down the road. These are all little bad habits for little good habits. So I love it. Thank you for that. Well,
0: that's great. and I'm curious on that in marriage. I mean, so that's that stat that you said so many divorces, I don't know if you said a, a, major, a lot of them or even the majority are, or you have financial issues at the head of those. What is it though? Is it, is it disagreements or just non communication or you know guilt within the spending where what is it, where does the issue manifest itself within a marriage generally?
2: yeah, I think it's all over the map honestly. I mean for a lot of spouses, they just can 't get on the same page and ultimately. When you can't get on the same page with money, you know, whether it's, oh, well, I want to get out of debt, but my husband doesn't want to, or God, my wife just spends everything and I can't get her out. You know, I can't seem to like rein her in. And she, she tells me that she doesn't want to be on a budget. You know, you just, I hear that conflict a lot. And for, for most couples, I hope, you know, they can resolve it and walk through it and, and get on that same page. But, but ultimately what's happening is, is, is that you're not just not agreeing on your money. You're not agreeing on your goals in life and where you want to go. Your dreams, your fears, kind of like what Tom was just saying. And ultimately, what money reveals um, is is a part of your value system of who you are. And when you can't agree on that, what ends up happening is just this, day in and day out. And so uh, it does take a toll. And so ultimately... It may not be the dollars and cents at the end of the day that the divorce papers are filed, but it's the deeper of, of the woman feeling insecure or the man feeling like, you know, she just nags them all the time or that she won't get on plan. He wants to, you know, it's ultimately what ends up happening is we don't have the same value system of who we are as people. And money is just that magnifying glass.
0: Okay, this is a, this is a mean question. I shouldn't even ask it, but I just, my curiosity is getting the better of, of me. And uh, I'm I'm a big enough guy in my own manhood to take the bad answer, but generally, who's the worst spender?
2: I'll be really honest. It does not gender. It's not specific. I mean, it's amazing. I I hear both sides pretty equally. And you would think women. I think some people assume, oh, well, women because they like to shop, they like to do that. But not really. For a lot of women, they actually want the savings. They want that security and that stability. Mm-hmm. Um. But but all that to say, I mean, it's it's both. I mean my, and within my family, my sister's a saver. I'm a spender. My mom's a saver. My husband's the saver. My dad's the spender. His, I mean, I, I can go through all these couples in my mind and it's either or. So it really, it really, uh, it depends on the couple.
0: Okay. How about person? I wish I had
2: a fun answer. For no, you, no, no. I, go, no.
0: I, <laughs> I was just, I was just curious. I, how about personality yeah. style? I think if I'm correct, in, in, uh, our, our, father's dealings together, I think you guys do some of the disc work, the personality profile, um, stuff. Yes, How about yes. that? Is there anything in that where you look D-I-S-C and these people, you know, cause I would guess, well, gosh, okay, the eyes are, the eyes are the outgoing, the maybe the spontaneous. Are they, do they tend to, do, can we, can we give some personality attributes to spending?
2: I would think so, for sure. I don't I don't have like a scientific study. I should do that. That's kind of smart. I never really thought about that. But I would assume the D's and I's are probably spenders because D's make quick decisions. They know what they want. They'll just get it. Uh, i's are kind of the life of the party, like you said. So, if, you know, like you, I relate to you where you're like, oh, we host people. I'm like, oh, that's so fun. Let's just go and get some fun stuff for the party tonight, you know. Yeah. And then S is, I think, a little bit more cautious. C's are so analytical that they probably couldn't imagine you know, going above a hundred dollars and spending, you know, without, without it being in the budget kind of thing. So yeah, I would definitely think personality drives it for sure.
0: It's interesting to think about, even with my, my wife, yeah. she's more prone to probably, you know, spend 300 bucks over the week on this and that and this and that. And I'm, I'm, I won't, and then there'll be one thing and boom, it's gone. Uh, <laughs> yes. So yeah. interesting thing. Okay. Well, another aspect of what you uh, talked about, you mentioned this a couple of times in regards to, I think college and career and people who are going to work at some at a place that they may not enjoy what they do, but they 're strapped to it because they have bills to pay so in a, I know from a college standpoint, we talk about that that how many kids are going to school getting their student loans they come out they just got to get a job the pressure 's on because they 've got loans to pay back so i 'm asking an overall question: how much of a factor is Career in this money issue Uh, again, in in regards to what you said, uh, people are working and feel stuck in a career. Or maybe I should rephrase it: How many would feel more free to go after work that they actually do like work you love, like my dad talks about, uh, if they did not have those financial uh, shackles holding them back?
2: Oh, I think I think it would change tremendously because what debt ends up happening is debt steals your choices. And when scripture says the borrower is slave to the lender, it's true. You you are a slave financially speaking. You don't have options. You don't have choices. And so that stability of that paycheck, knowing that you have to have money coming in, and the thought of even quitting a job and not knowing where money is going to come in, you're going to get behind on your bills. You don't have that option to go and do that. Where if you didn't have payments. And you had three to six months of expenses saved in the bank and you planned ahead of time and said, okay, I'm going to take three months and start this thing and I have the cash for it. Suddenly your risk goes down. I mean, there's so many factors in that. And so I think a lot of people, um, yeah, are in a job that they don't care for, but it pays the bills and that's where they're at in that point in life. And and I think through the process of getting out of debt, there's some sacrifice of working jobs you hate, you know, delivering pizzas, working extra, working overtime, doing things you don't like to do, making that short term sacrifice for the long term gain of being debt free. But this this cycle of people working 40 hours or, you know, 40 hours a week for 40 years and they just do it to pay the bills, I man, I think that's very normal. But suddenly when you don't have any payments and the boss comes in yelling at you, you have the option to walk away. You know, you have the option to be able to say, you know what, I don't owe anyone anything. I don't have to be here. And so that freedom does come with it. And so yeah, there's power, power in being debt free and, and to have choices and options again in your life.
1: I love that. Debt steals your choices. Mm-hmm. That's 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 tweetable. That's quotable. Yeah. Write that down. And we all want I'm writing choices. It down. You know, one of the things I teach all the time is you've got to have a big why, a compelling reason, a, a legacy you want to leave, you know, this dream that you want to accomplish, this, this thing that is constantly drawing you towards it. Otherwise, it's easy to self-medicate, you know, to uh, do retail therapy, to do all the things that we like to do to just give us that lift in the meantime what what's your advice for somebody who you know they're feeling the pressure financially it's not good they they know that they're you know one uh layoff away from disaster and they just don't have this capacity to, to think of the why you know the big reason how do you tell somebody who's in that dis, kind of that despair mode hey dig in you can do it you know create a dream of where you want to go What is, what is the first, you know, what's your advice to them?
2: I would say for a lot of people, you have to take self-responsibility into check and you have to be able to say, you know, I can't blame others for how I've gotten here. I've made these choices. This is what I've done. And that, that self, and and sure, I had people, you know, done hurtful things to you along the way. Probably. I mean, that's, that, that is life. And so, but to take that, that responsibility on yourself to say, okay, I'm the only one that can change my life you know, Hillary's not gonna do it, Trump's not gonna do it, you know, like I can't depend on the government to do it. Like you it really is you and to be able to get to that point in your life where you say, Okay, I have decisions that I have to make. And and you know, especially if you have a family, I mean, looking at your kids and saying, gosh, you know, you know, what what kind of legacy are you leaving them? And and I'm thankful my parents and really got to that point. And it was through bankruptcy and through a lot of hard times. But if it wasn't for them to put a line in the sand and say no matter what, we're not borrowing money no matter what we're changing the way we, we handle money no matter what my kids are not going to feel this pain. And because of those choices and, and turning their lives around, that was the legacy. And that was the example set for me. Uh, and knowing that I don't have to make devastating mistakes with my money uh, like they did, I can still learn to handle money wisely, um, you know, by, by that example and understanding, taking that knowledge and that practice into my own life. And so for people that, you know, feel like, gosh, I don't, I don't know what else to do. You know, I, I think that first step is to say, you know, you're the only one that can change your life and either you have the decision to do it or not. And it is, it's up to you. Um, but I think looking at, looking at your kids and looking at your family, your community, knowing what impact you could leave, um, is a motivating one for me again, because, because of the legacy that was passed to me, it's contagious in my opinion. I mean, I feel like, gosh, there, there's no way you can't do that.
1: I love it. That, that's, that sounds so much like Zig Ziglar. He, dad would say this, he would ask an individual who's in that state. He would say, is there anything you can do right now that would make your, your life worse? And of course we can all think of a hundred things. Yeah. And then he would say, okay, is there anything you can do that would make your life better right now? Could you could you drink a cold glass of water? Could you get five minutes of exercise? Could you text somebody you love and, and tell them how much you appreciate them? All those little things will make your life better. And so what happens is a transaction between the ears that says, I have the power to make things better or worse, and the choice is mine. And so what you just said about responsibility of looking at your situation going, you know what? I don't like where I am, but I can make a decision now and every day going forward to make things better. I love that.
0: Yep, yeah, me too. Well, hey Rachel, I, I have one more question. You know, the Ziegler audience is is such a wide array of people. We've got people at, at very differing socioeconomic levels. And I know on, on one hand, spending is spending, money is money, and the issues that we deal with are across the board. But are there any uh, different pressures that you see amongst someone who's making thirty five grand a year or ninety-five? I mean that's a big difference there. And then you know, keep going and you can go up as high as you want, but even in the two hundred thousand dollar a year levels, I mean it's a different, very different lifestyle. But um, do you see different uh, different pressures, different things that they have to address, different uh, viewpoints that they have to understand regarding those, or is it just across the board?
2: Well, I think the the ultimate principles of being on the same page with your spouse, steering clear of debt, making a plan for your money, quitting the comparisons—all of those principles, I think, line up whether you make thirty grand or three million a year. So, so I think those, but the, but the way those those manifest, I think, are different. And so, I think you know, the people that are in the higher economic level, you know, they, their friends, you know, probably are around that same way and they're probably going on fancier trips and it's, you know, bigger and better, but the, the, but the middle class, you know, lower cl- you know, um, uh, you know, making thirty thirty thousand $30,000 a year. I mean, they may look up and say, oh, wow, our friends, you know, they went to Disney world for the first time and we need to get to Disney world. You know, it may not be that the, the the biggest grand, um, vacation in the world. I mean, Disney's actually pretty nice. (laughs) That I'm thinking about it's pretty expensive. So yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, but you know what I'm saying? Like the way it manifested, the, the, the magnification of it may be different, but the principles definitely, definitely are the same. That foundation is key no matter, no matter what you're making, but there will be different pressures, uh, different, different issues possibly that they deal with. But but man, those principles line up no matter no matter who you are.
0: Yeah, Rachel, thank you for bringing this here. It was uh, felt refreshing to see the book. I you know I see so many, especially in in prep for these shows, and and yours was just it resonated. I like the simplicity of it, and yeah, the fact that it speaks to. Uh, well, I want to talk with my kids again because there's things in there. I never really thought of I am mean, Of course, I'm aware of social media and I think how it's changed our culture, but I didn't think about the financial aspect. Even what you talked about today as far as the even further lack of cash in our hands and yeah, the Starbucks app where you just, you know, shine it in front of there and it zaps it and you don't give it a, a second thought. Uh, is a big deal. And um, I, I love people to be free. I love myself to be free. And you're talking about one of the primary places we imprison ourselves. So thank you for this book, for your message, for taking the time uh, with us today, folks, again, go get the book, love your life, not theirs. Now you can find it. We'll just type it in. You'll find it everywhere. Go to Rachel's website that we gave you in the intro. And uh, thank you. We'll probably have to do this again, if you're willing
2: absolutely well thanks you guys for having me on i so so appreciate it thank you
0: well folks thanks it's an honor to be here inspiring our true performance together we'll talk with you in the next ziggler show